day to worship God, but we're, we're so glad that you've made this choice to be with other believers, to be with folks who are on a journey together. Well, I started this brief mini-series two weekends ago by, you may remember, holding up a quarter. And I pointed out that on our U.S. currency is a very interesting little subscript. You know what it says, in God we trust. And you know, I wonder if that's true, and if so, for how many Americans. Boy, I sure hope it is true for all of us, because here's something that I've learned through many years of being on this journey with other believers. Here's what I've learned as a Christian leader, as a student of the Bible. What we do with money really reveals a whole lot about our trust, and today, as we wrap this brief series up, I want us to look at an amazing Bible story. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 17, where a prophet named Elijah and a, a dear widow who lived in a town called Zarephath, they actually both receive a sort of test from God, which really shows, it reveals what they're trusting in. So before we look at the text itself in 1 Kings 17, let me tell you a little bit about the background of what's going on here. Elijah had prophesied that there was going to be a drought, and indeed there was. And because of this lack of rain, for a long period of time, there was a severe famine in the land. Food was really hard to get. I mean, there were hard times, and all the people were uh, feeling it. And the reason for this famine, the reason for the drought in the land was very clear. God had made it clear. Uh, the people were worshiping a false god called Baal. Now, Baal was known as the god of fertility, or, or you could say the God of rain, because the, the rain, as everyone knew, brought productivity to the crops. It was, it was the thing that brought the fertility, brought the productivity. Now, that's very interesting, because, see, God was withholding his blessing in the very area where the people were not honoring him, trusting him, or not worshiping him. They were worshiping something instead of the true and living God. Now, by the way, we personally shouldn't be surprised when it unfolds that way in our lives. I talk to people on a regular basis who are praying for God's blessing. That's a good thing. I hope you are. I hope you're asking God to pour his abundance out on your life. But I will often, the conversation will kind of turn like this. Pastor, I'm asking for God to give me a better house, to give me a newer car, to, to really help me be more wealthy and so on. And what's going on? I don't know what's happening. Why doesn't God give it to me? Why doesn't he give it now? The reason is because God is not in the business of handing out idols, and if there's something that has become an idol for us, if there's something that has become for us more important than God in our life, something we're trusting in more, then it's no wonder that God might hold back in that area of blessing. He might withdraw his blessing from that area of our lives because the ultimate thing in life, I hope we all know, 
is to bring honor and glory to God. It's not about us getting the little things we want, although God delights in doing that. But what he wants first and foremost is trust in him and for our lives to be oriented about, around him and his values and his commands. So when we check in on Elijah's story here, what we find is that things are so bad, Elijah is being blamed for a lot of this, and the authorities are trying to kill him. And so as we pick up the story, God is beginning to speak and give Elijah some direction. Let's start with verse 3. God says, leave here. Turn eastward and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. Now, let's just stop for a moment. I'm sure that Elijah must be thinking, God, are you sure about this plan? I mean, think about it. He's ordering him to go away from the Jordan. The Jordan was the main source of water. Remember, there's a drought. And this whole raven thing, being fed by ravens? Are you sure? I mean, God, I'm not sure about this raven strategy, Elijah must have thought. Now, surely there's got to be a better way. This just doesn't make any sense. But then we read on in verse 5, it simply says, so he did what the Lord had told him. Would you note those words? He did what the Lord had told him. The simple brilliance of Elijah was that he trusted God even when God's instructions didn't always make sense to his rational mind. And you know what I think as a follower of Jesus? I think that's sometimes the challenge for us, really. Can I, can I just be honest with you? Especially if you're a new believer or you're exploring Christianity. Can I just tell you, sometimes God's instructions in life they're not politically correct sometimes. Sometimes they don't really add up. They don't make sense to our minds based on our previous experiences and all that. And so the challenge for us often is to trust God when that's the case. But I'm convinced that we struggle with that. For instance, according to Acts 13, one of the key things Jesus taught about giving is that it's more blessed to give than to receive. By the way, if I were to ask you to write, please don't do it, but if I were to ask for a show of hands, how many of you believe that's really true? It's more blessed to give than to receive. I'll bet there'd be a whole lot of hands that would go up. But if I met you in the lobby after the service... And I walked up to you privately and said, hey, I, I've got a proposition for you here. I've got 10 $100 bills. I've got $1,000 in cash here. And you've got a choice. I'll give you this. You can have it. It's yours. No strings. Or, or if you want to, see, I know this needy family who's really in need. If you want to, you can just take $1,000 of your own money and just give it to them. Which would you like to do? And then I... By the way, I won't tell anybody what you decide. It's just between you and God, really. It's, it's up to you. Do you want this thousand to keep as yours? Or how about giving a thousand of your own money? How would you respond to that? If you really believe it's more blessed to give than to receive, you'd probably say, well... You could keep your thousand, Pastor. Honestly, it would feel a lot better. I would much rather give a thousand of my own money 
to that needy family. I'm just convinced that most of us probably just don't really believe that. And that's sometimes the way God's instructions are. But again, the brilliance of Elijah is that he trusted God with all of his heart. He didn't lean on his own understanding, see, even though this didn't fully make sense to him at the time. He trusts God and God supplies. But it's interesting to me in verse 7 that the story takes an interesting twist here. Sometime later, the brook dried up. Whoa, wait a minute. Let me make sure we got this story straight. Elijah really trusts in God. God tells him to go uh, hang out by the Kareth Ravine, the brook that's there, and he's going to drink from the brook. He's going to feed him with ravens. I, Elijah obeys God, simple obedience, and then the brook dried up? What? Hmm. Any of you standing beside a dry brook today? Say, boy, I feel like I've really been trying to trust God. I feel like I've really been trying to do things God's way, but the brook is drying up. And maybe last month you just couldn't make your house payment. And, or maybe it was you couldn't make that gas bill or you couldn't pay for your car. Or, and you're, you're kind of looking toward heaven. You're going, God, I hope you're noticing this. The water level's going down here. What do you do when you're doing your best to follow God? You think you are. And then the brook is drying up. I want to say to you, followers of Jesus, this kind of situation is where you really find out where your true trust lies. It's easy to obey God when everything's cool and it feels good and the water level's rising. Hello? But when the water level's going down and the brook's drying up, can we really trust God even then? I don't know much about the circus or trapeze artist, but I have read something I find very interesting, and I think it has a correlation to faith here. I have read that when it comes to these high-flying trapeze artists, there's really two key players involved in a wonderful show. The two key players, of course, besides the ringmaster and the announcer and, and everybody, is the flyer and the catcher. Are you with me on this? There's the flyer. That's the one that soars through the air, that needs to let go of the bar and fly through the air. Sometimes they're turning flips and twists and all that. And then the other key player is the catcher. But when the flyer lets go of that bar, do you know what his job description is at that point? This will surprise some of you. When the flyer, the one who's flying through the air, often with no net, when he lets go of that bar, his job description is to do this. Hope you're watching closely. That's it. That's not hard to do. But that's emotionally hard to do. In fact, experts say that the absolute worst thing that the flyer can do is to try to catch the catcher. But that's your impulse, that's your instinct, because you're in a sense of panic. Boy, I hope he gets me here. 
And so you start trying to grab for the catcher. You start trying to catch the catcher. It's the worst thing you can do, the experts say. You just got to do this. And have this quiet, confident trust in the strong arms of the catcher. Some of you right now are flying through the air. Well, you feel like that brook is drying up and everything in you says, catch the catcher, hit the panic button. And God says, trust, just trust, I got you here, I'm going to catch you. I've done this a lot of times, everything's under control. And that's exactly where Elijah found himself. That's where some of you find yourself today. And that again, let me say it, that's when you find out if your trust is real. But this story goes on and it gets even a little more intriguing to me. Because God continues to guide Elijah just like he guides us on our journey. And he sends him into, get this, enemy territory. In fact, he sends him to a widow, not just any widow, a Gentile widow. And again, if I'm Elijah, I've got to be thinking, God, this, this ride is getting more bizarre all the time. I don't understand what you're up to here. Don't you know? God, there's a drought going on. But again, Elijah's brilliance is that he trusts God to supply even when he can't see how all this is going to work out. Here's what we read in verse 10. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? Now remember, that's no small request because there's a severe drought in the, in the land. Verse 11, as she was going to get it, he called, uh, it's almost like a by the way, by the way, and, and bring me please a piece of bread. That's like saying, hey, and while you're at it, would you bring me your life savings? Because we find out this woman is destitute. She has nothing left. And so she explains in verse 12. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And then I, 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 I think she's being truthful here. She's not on a pity party in this next phrase. I think she's being real. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Whoa. Boy, that adds perspective, doesn't it? You ever lived with that kind of poverty? You ever gotten up not knowing if you're going to eat today? Many people around the world live that way. Do you realize, friends, that if you make even $30,000 in a year, you're in the top 1% of richest people in the world, on the world standard. Hey, let me put it to you a different way. If you're living on food stamps and welfare right now, you are among the richest people in the world, on this planet. But this woman knew what it was to get up and not know, will I eat today? That helps add perspective here, I believe. And, and you know what haunts me as I've read this over and over this week? 
Here's the question. Do you ever read the Bible and you just can't get away from a question? Here's my question. Why her? Why would God choose her? I mean, surely there's got to be a lot of people in Zarephath that could have given something here and not even felt it. Why did God choose this woman and say, you be generous? She could have easily looked to God and said, look, God, times are tough right now. Why her? Well, I think God chooses this woman to teach us at least, at least a couple of life applications. So I want you to consider just two of those now. The first one that I believe this woman's story teaches us is that God expects everyone to give something. To, to get involved in this whole stewardship process. In other words, this whole idea that we talk about of giving back, of blessing other people, of giving back to God, this isn't just for wealthy people. This is for everyone, and here's why. Because it's a stewardship issue, but it's a discipleship issue. It's a character issue. It's a life-changing issue now i'm going to get real personal here for just a moment there's a lot of reasons that i love this church a lot i could stay here all day telling you but one of the reasons i'm so blown away that god would allow me to be a part of a family like this is that there's a whole lot of people in this church who really get that some of them are well off and some of them are not well off at all but they get this we have a church here where there are many, many very generous people. You say, well, why is that? I, I'm not sure I know. I, I just think they love Jesus. They believe in his kingdom. They want to see God's work advance. It may be for some of them that one of the reasons uh, they feel comfortable giving as a part of a church like this is they know we're a part of the ECFA and have been for years. ECFA stands for the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. It's basically a group. There's very few members by the number of churches and Christian organizations in America because the standards are so stringent. You have to jump through so many hoops. You have to be so vulnerable and transparent. You have to be go the extra mile of integrity. And we've been a part of that since the earliest days of grace what that means is we have this strenuous budgeting process where every single proposed budget item goes through a test of alignment with our purposes and our vision and our values we practice what we preach another thing that means is that we have an annual external audit every year where an objective group comes in and scrutinizes our books and then makes a report that's available to anyone who asks. It's all a part of just being open and transparent. By the way, you know, I encourage you to have a savings account, no matter how small it may be. Guess what? As a church, we practice what we preach. We have a savings account. It's not huge. But we want to create some financial buffer in case of hard times or in case of some great kingdom opportunities open up that we don't expect right now. All I'm saying is I'm just proud to be a part of a church like this that goes the extra mile 
with financial integrity. And some of you have even told me that that's one of the reasons, one of many reasons that you feel confident and comfortable giving uh, here at the church. By the way, I asked our business office this week to do something for me that I don't think I've ever asked um, because I don't get involved in the details of finances at all. I asked them to run some numbers from last month. And here's, this is all these numbers represent is just last month. On an average weekend, at all of our congregations, there were about 700 offerings that were given on an average weekend. That is what we call giving units, you know. Now, some of those might represent a single person, man or woman. Some of those, probably most of those, is my guess, represent a married couple, a family giving. Like, like Debbie and I, we're one giving unit. We give together. We don't give separately. We're one of those units, okay? So I feel very conservative, very comfortable in saying that on a given weekend, just last month, that's all we're talking about, there were probably twelve to 1,400 people at Grace that gave. That is awesome. That is, that is fantastic. But you know, while I celebrate that and I just applaud that, I, I can't help but think, since that represents less than half of our adult attendance, I, I just can't help but think about the 50, 55% that aren't getting in on that. And I'm sure if we sit down and talk, you've got all your reasons and and boy, I'd be empathetic with those. I've sat where you sit. I know all the challenges of life and all that stuff. All I'm telling you is, is what we do with money shows a lot about where our trust is. That's all I'm saying. And, and, and if you're in a walk with God, all I'm saying to you is I, I'm here to try to help you with that, truly. And I'm saying to you that what you do with all the resources, time, talent, energy, you know, focus, relationships, influence, as well as resources, says a whole lot about your walk of discipleship. There, that is just true. Trusting God with our finances is for everyone. God wants everyone to get involved. But a second lesson and final lesson that this story teaches us that we can learn from this widow is that God can use whatever I give right? God can use whatever I give. So some of those uh, 700 giving units that were on an average weekend in December, I assume are very small. I assume. But that's cool. Because people are getting involved. They're, they're, they're getting this into their walk of discipleship. Because here's what people rationalize. They say, well, my amount is so small compared to that huge budget and all that money that's given. Mine's, mine won't make any difference at all. And so some people probably just reason that way and opt out. But, but here's what scripture shows us about that. It's not the amount, right? God owns everything. It's not so much the amount, it's what he can do with what's given sacrificially. So, here's the good news. Those who gave last month were involved in some pretty incredible things. Let me just tell you a few of them, just, just for fun, just so you can see the kind of things that that kind of sacrificial giving goes to do. 
Well, for starters, we have nine worship services every weekend where the word of God goes out. This is between our congregations that goes out in anointing and power and clarity and God is changing lives. I heard as many life change stories in December as I ever remember hearing. It's just cool. It's just exciting to be a part of a church like that. God putting a marriage back together. Here's a young person who was in rebellion, is now completely saved and turned around. Here was a person who was hopeless, had no clue about where they were going in life, found Jesus, got saved, got their life on a right track. It's unbelievable. And I, I get the privilege of hearing stories like that every week that goes by. It's just awesome. Several weeks ago, we had the privilege of filling almost 2,000 shoe boxes full of gifts for needy children through Operation Christmas Child. We provided 800 gifts for Christmas relief to children who would have little or nothing for Christmas. 75 Thanksgiving baskets were provided. Over 100 Grace Fellowship small groups meet regularly and help followers of Christ go deeper as disciples. In the last four months, in the last four months alone, We've given over $205,000 to missions efforts, both internationally and domestically. So, well, Pastor, where, where does that money go? Where is that provided? Countries like India, Guatemala, Uganda, Papua New Guinea, Israel, Thailand, and East Asia. There's no way I could take the time to read you all of the things that that ministry money goes to do. But I just got to read a few of them. It drills wells for fresh water for people in Africa who just don't have it. Their water's polluted. It, it provides discipleship training for nationals through numerous countries in Africa. Medical care and food for the poor. It shares the gospel with indigenous people in Papua New Guinea. Financial and spiritual support to persecuted churches and pastors in India where you're in danger of losing your life in many places in India just for claiming the name of Christ. It provides Christian education to jungle school children in Guatemala. Folks, the list just goes on and on and on. And locally, we support a number of ministries locally that are relieving human suffering and sharing the gospel. But then here's just a few fun things I wrote down as I did a little research. One of our congregations provided 51 care packages recently for students at Skidmore College. I thought, now that's cool. If I was a Skidmore student, I'd want to get one of those, you know? Some chocolate chip cookies in there, some cool things to encourage and lift spirits. We saw dozens of volunteers show up and pour out sacrificially just in the last several weeks at service Saturdays, going into nursing homes, visiting with the elderly, serving local families who are struggling, struggling, staffing our local missions in Schenectady and Albany. The work continues strong. One of our congregations, this is cool, had a leaf raking day in the last several weeks. <laughs> Over a hundred people showed up on a Saturday morning to clean up leaves and they worked in nearly 90 homes for a three-hour period. They bagged over 500 bags of leaves and removed them. Several of the small groups continue to serve some of those families they met that day. And here's something that probably virtually none of you know. God's giving us an amazing internet ministry. You realize... 
that just last month alone, that's all I'm talking about, just December, we were able to share the gospel over 5,000 times in more than 28 countries around the world. I, I, I just think God needs a hand. I just think God needs a hand for that stuff. I, I believe that is some pretty cool stuff. And those of you who give, just here's the cool thing, you just get to be a part of that. So why did God choose this widow? The same reason he chose a kid named David to kill a giant. Same reason he chose a teenager named Mary to be the mother of his son. The same reason he chose an uneducated, untutored fisherman named Peter. He chose this widow because he can. Just because he can. And usually his glory shows up more awesomely through our weakness. That's why he chose her. And so the widow explains to Elijah, she has just enough for her and her son. Verse 13, Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you've said. But first, make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. I would ask you to simply note that word first. Because to me, that's one of the most important parts of this story. It's kind of that first fruits principle. You've heard me mention it, but, but giving to God is not a, about the crumbs. It's about putting God first and making him the priority in your life. Recently, I sat down with Dave and Celicia Bigler. They happen to be a part of our Saratoga congregation, and I have respected them and admired them for a long time. They represent Jesus really well, just a young, dynamic couple and I sat down and asked them some questions about this. And I want to ask you to listen together now to this wonderful interview. Dave and Celicia, welcome today. I have really been looking forward to talking to you guys about this whole idea of giving and uh, how God wants us to become more generous people. Now, l- let me start by asking this. I understand that when you guys were kind of new Christians, you weren't exactly on the same page with this whole giving thing. Can you, can you tell us more about that? Well, um, I became a Christian in uh, college. I was 19 mm-hmm. as a freshman. Um, you were two? <laughs> I grew up in a Christian home. I remember accepting Christ as a three-year-old. Like Wow. So. Totally different environment. <laughs> Incredible. Very different growing up. I, uh, my experience of tithing was going to church every Sunday and having my dad put a check in the bin every day, every Sunday. Um, they never necessarily talked to me about why they did it. It was mm-hmm. just an expectation. So, When, when we first started dating, uh, it was in college, and uh, there's a specific moment. Um, I've been a Christian now for probably two years at this point, mm-hmm. um, and we went to some friend's church. Um, it wasn't our usual church that we go to, and I think there was like a missionary that was up on stage um, like that, that was that was home visiting his home church mm-hmm. and was describing what he was doing, and Celicia felt moved, and she wrote a check for $200 mm-hmm. as a college student, and I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> you don't know this person. You don't know where that money is going. Really I immediately, I was, I was upset. I was like, that's frivolous, um, it, it's just a story, you know, you don't know that this is real, we don't go mm-hmm. to this church, yeah. etc. Yeah. Um, so yes, we definitely started out at the beginning of our relationship together on totally different perspectives of tithing. Yeah. 
And you know what? I think that's a pretty common experience for couples, really. In fact, a lot of the uh, folks listening today may be struggling with how do we get on the same page with this. But God helped you guys, and, and today you've come to a much more unified understanding of that. Now, Dave, you made a statement recently that really intrigued me. In fact, I, I, thought, it was, I thought it was quite a statement. In fact, I'm going to quote you, buddy. You said, tithing is not about grace, meaning grace fellowship. It's not about some mission trip or about this fund or that fund. Tithing is about acknowledging that none, underlying none of the possessions that I have are mine and that I honor God by giving him my first fruits without question. Wow. Now that's a statement would you unpack that and tell us a little more of what you mean by that? Christianity is, is hard. It's a lot of work. And it's a constant moving, trying to move towards being Christ-centered. Mm-hmm. And tithing is one of those things that, that when you first become a Christian, it's uh, a got-to. Um, and, and when I first uh, became a Christian, it was an expectation. The, the basket goes by, oh, I want to be a good Christian. I need to put something into that. And people tithe for for different reasons, um, out of guilt, um, because they're moved um, by a specific uh, a sermon that the, mm-hmm. the pastor mm-hmm. might give. Um, but the reality is, is that tithing is all about who is God to me? Who is Christ to me? And how am I honoring him with what I have? Mm-hmm. The reality is, if I simply give when it feels good, or, or when uh, I'm moved to do so, mm-hmm. I'm not honoring God because I'm only wow. giving when it's, it's happy and it's a good opportunity to give. Uh, if Christ did that same thing, he wouldn't have been on the cross when it was convenient for him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if you want to become more Christ-centered and move in your relationship with God, a key thing to do is tithe consistently and tithe sacrificially so that every single dollar that comes in acknowledge the fact that it's not mine. It's not mine. It is a blessing, and I need to immediately give back to Christ what he's given me without question. And the result of that is life-changing. Obviously, when we come to Christ as a new beginner, and, and we've been on this exploration phase, we come to Christ, the goal then is to grow closer to Christ. We, we want to become truly Christ-centered people. What role do you guys think that sacrificial giving plays in that process of growing, you know, deeper in Christ, closer to Christ? What role do you think it plays? I think it plays a a big role in developing trust because, you know, simply tithing the 10% is something we do because of the reasons that Dave was stating. But when we feel moved to give something beyond that because there's and somebody has a need, mm-hmm. whatever it is, um, I feel blessed that we're able to fill that. But also, um, I feel like it helps us increase our dependence on Christ mm-hmm. because then we have to then trust him more for, to meet our needs because we needed to share what we, are, what we had. I understand that you guys practice something that a... Uh, a growing percentage of people at Grace actually are practicing, and that is giving online, okay? That's one of the methods that we have. Many people give in the offering plate or basket as it comes by, and that's their preferred way. But, but a growing number, like yourselves, are giving online. Now, 
Why do you feel that that is perhaps the best method for you to give? Because Dave always forgets the checkbook. <laughs> well, that and we can't choose not to. Yeah. <laughs> you know? If you give... Uh, sorry, go ahead. Well, if, you know, if there's a week or something comes up, yeah. you know, the car breaks down or, you know, whatever, and oh, you yeah. need an extra little thing. And you say, oh, well, if I don't put the tithe check in this week, I'll have that extra little piece. And because we do the direct deposit, that's not an option. To you know, if, if you wait and you pay all the bills first and you handle all the other things and take care of all your desires, there's not going to be first fruits anymore. It's going to be a few crumbs left, right, in the plate. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think you resent it a little more at that point because yeah. it's, you're not choosing to give out of, you know, your thing. Oh, well, now I've paid all this stuff. Now I have to. Mm -hmm. And I think my attitude toward it is different. But I'll tell you, I do miss putting the check in the plate every Sunday. I watch yeah. it go by and think, oh, this is weird. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. it's such a Why habit from... We give online. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, that does exist. Yeah. You feel it of when it passes by. There's that satisfaction of putting in. And the question there is that pride. Right. Is that pride right. because y you, you want people to see them. You see that? Mine's in an envelope. Yeah. Today. I've got a, a question here for you that I think... A lot of people are, are going to be curious about what you would say. You guys yeah. have practiced this for a long time, but we've got a whole lot of beginners in Christ at Grace and all of our congregations and, and or a lot of people who probably, honestly, really, really struggle with this whole idea of giving back, of being good stewards of your resources. As we wrap up today, what advice would you give to those folks who are either brand new or struggling with this. If you want to become more Christ-centered, it's a daily challenge. It's a daily challenge of sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And tithing is a great way that, that I personally have felt um, it has brought me closer to Christ and become more Christ-centered. And so if you want to move, if you want to actively go in that direction of giving more of your life over to Christ mm -hmm. and having him move through you to become a better person, tithe. Tithe yeah. regularly and sacrificially. Wow. It, it'll be, it's amazing how he'll bless you through that. It, again, it has nothing to do with grace. Mm -hmm. it, 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 yes, grace needs funds to be able to move, but God will get those wherever he wants. Amen. I am so thankful. Dave and Celicia, that you've come today and shared a little bit of your story. And I know this for sure. A lot of people have been encouraged as well as challenged by what you've had to say. Thanks for your time. I love you guys. Thank you so much for being with us today. God bless you. Good job. And Celicia. So as we wrap this story up, we notice here in verse 14 that Elijah makes this dear woman an amazing promise. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. So there's this supernatural promise. Listen, if you trust God, give him to him first. God's going to supply. She went away, it says, and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. God supplies and we trust. But you know, as we wrap up today, I just want to say something. It's really a sense in which the title of this sermon is all backwards. It's entitled, God Supplies 
we trust. But the truth of the matter is, and we saw it illustrated in this amazing story. When we trust, it really unlocks God's supply. That's the true order of things here. And there's lots of other examples of that in the Bible. That when we trust, then, then God supplies. His provision has already been made. But he unlocks his provision when we trust. So let me end this series where I started. Our coinage, our currency says, in God we trust. And I just want to ask, is that true of you? It's a huge question, honestly, wherever you are on this journey. Because whoever or whatever we're trusting, and listen to this now, is by definition your God. Whoever or whatever your ultimate trust is in is by definition your God. And there's only one God that's really worthy of our trust. Father, thank you for your challenge always in our lives. I am so inspired by this widow in Zarephath. We don't even know her name. She's going to be one of the heroes, one of the frontliners in heaven. Thank you for Elijah's example of trusting even when he didn't fully understand how this was going to work out or where you were leading him. And God, I pray that by your spirit, you would make these lessons so personal and so powerful to us. And Father, thank you for Dave and Celicia and their testimony. And it's inspirational to me to see a young couple that early on, early on in their marriage, got in on this and have been following this and faithful in trusting you in this way. Father, I ask that for all of those in grace who are honoring you and trusting in you, I pray that you would blow their minds with your abundance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Let's continue to worship for a few more moments. Ushers, would you please come now? As our team leads us, let's worship our great God.